Under the Golden Dome is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, and by the Iowa Bankers Association. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa communities, and they're backed by Iowa banks. See how banks are helping small businesses see a stronger tomorrow at iowabankers.com. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the Legislative Podcast, Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. Iowa's redemption law is working as an environmental tool that it was designed to be cleaning up roadside litter, and driving recycling efforts. A bill changing Iowa's bottle deposit system gets a public hearing at the Capitol. However, after 40 years, there may be ways to enhance the program that benefits Iowa consumers. David Edelman from the Iowa Wholesale Beer Distributors Association supports changing the law. There have been no changes since it began in 1979. This year, there have been several proposals, but as the end of the session is near, this bill from a House of Representatives committee has the most traction. Iowa distributors are the only entity in the equation that must pay anything above the five-cent deposit. The bottle redemption system is a little complicated, but it basically works like this. A consumer pays five extra cents per can or bottle. The distributor of that pop or beer can gets that nickel. The customer receives their five cents back by returning the can to the place they bought it or a redemption center. The retailer or redemption center returns the empty can to the distributor, and the distributor pays them that five cents plus another cent as a handling fee. For every can not returned, the distributor keeps that five cents. How much money distributors keep from these unclaimed deposits is not known. There is no requirement to disclose this information. This bill doesn't address where that unclaimed money goes. One aspect of the bill allows retailers, like grocery stores, to opt out of taking cans if they contract with a redemption center that is located within 15 miles. We are currently registered in favor of House File 814. John Murphy is the executive director of the Iowa Beverage Association. Uh, We just took a look at the amendment late this afternoon. Uh, We will likely change our registration on that. The amendment John Murphy is talking about was made available a few hours before this public hearing. As this bill passed out of committee a week prior, it was known an amendment was coming and intended to be introduced on the House floor if the bill is called up for debate. I've had a brief glance at the amendment as well. Uh, Very glad to see that there's a handling fee increase in there. Troy Willard owns a redemption center in Cedar Rapids called the Can Shed. One of the big changes in the amendment is increasing the handling fee to redemption centers from one cent to two cents. I think that's probably uh, the most paramount issue that faces uh, you guys as how you try and change the access points and points of redemption away from dealers to uh, facilities similar as mine. At the peak of the bottle bill, there were about 260 centers, and now there are about 90. Sherry Cunningham owns the Pelican and Bottle Redemption Center. She says with the current handling fee of one cent, she is barely able to stay open. So what I want you to do at the end of this session this year is remember how you did the fa- how you voted for the handling fee. Then in five years, if you did nothing or went against it, and there are very few redemption centers left, I want you to go to your grandchildren and your children and tell them that you took part of getting rid of a program that recycled over 80% at its peak. Dustin Miller lobbies for the Iowa Grocery Association. Our organization truly wants to work on solutions that provide the ability to get redemption out of the stores of those stores that are interested. 
and improves the economics for redemption centers, but it has to make sense for consumers. Miller says a retailer that sells beverages with a deposit, like a grocery store, should not be required to redeem these cans and bottles. There are a variety of things uh, that are sold by retailers that do not have the same mandate. Instead, recycling and trash collection is a function of local government, not private business. Chip Baltimore, representing Fairway Stores, also wants the redemption out of the stores. He doesn't support this bill, but says if there is more money needed, such as in handling fees... There's currently money in the system in the form of unredeemed nickels. They're being held by one small group of people in in this system. There is speculation from several media and academic sources, unclaimed bottles and cans provide an annual bottom line financial windfall to distributors ranging from 20 million to 50 million. Ron Langston is from Fuel Iowa, an organization that represents Iowa's fuel retailers, and that includes convenience and grocery stores that are required to redeem cans. Langston says instead of the current bill, there needs to be legislation to find out how much unclaimed deposit money distributors are keeping. Fuel Iowa has recommended legislation establishing bottle bill transparency. The primary goal of the the legislation is to provide the public a transparent accounting value of unclaimed bottles and cans. Like with most years, any legislation dealing with changing Iowa's bottle redemption system brings forth several ideas. But so far, none have ever made it out of a session. As to this bill, it now has been referred to the House Appropriations Committee. Originally, this bill started in state government, then went to Ways and Means. This is the uh, HHS budget bill, Um, and this bill appropriates a a total of $2.03 billion from the general fund. Republican Senator Mark Costello presents the Department of Health and Human Services budget during an Appropriations Committee meeting. This funds the Department of Aging, Department of Public Health, Human Services and Veterans Affairs, and also the Iowa Veterans Home. Senator Costello notes one area that's not included in this bill. This bill does not contain the appropriation for $60 million for mental health regions, as that's that's contained in the SF 587, uh, that bill, which we've already passed off the floor, it is in our, in our budget. It's just not in this bill because it was in that other bill, which has passed already. The Senate passed SF 587, which removes funding for mental health away from property taxes and requires it to come out of the general fund. But that bill has only passed out of the Senate, and it contains numerous other property tax-related items that are unrelated to mental health funding. So far, that bill has not moved through House committees. We have uh, a requirement for the Department of Human Services to implement the 
eligibility verification system for public assistance programs. This part of the bill draws the most attention during the committee process. It's in the 13th division. A bill's division is one way to separate sections of the bill that do different things. Sometimes a division is like its own bill. Earlier in the session, a bill that accomplishes the same thing for eligibility requirements has already passed out of the Senate, but has not moved through House committees. That last part, uh, we might be known as asset verification. And what our, our goal is with that is to, to try and make sure that the people that, uh, have the, uh, that are, in, are, are eligible for these services get them and that people who are not eligible don't get them and to find that out quickly. This would require the Department of Human Services to verify the income and assets for people that are receiving or applying for public assistance. This includes Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP. I'm here to speak in opposition to Division 13 of the bill. Tom Chapman from the Iowa Catholic Conference says the amount of income plus assets like a car could be counted to see if a household is eligible. The asset limit for food assistance, SNAP, food stamps, would be 2250 per household. That's very low. And it also says that households with more than one vehicle would be at risk of losing their eligibility for food stamps. Um, just the fact of owning two cars, especially in rural Iowa, doesn't mean that people don't need help to get food. Most people need a car to get to work. Uh, we believe that this part would put one in six Iowans currently enrolled in food assistance at risk of losing benefits. If there are any discrepancies in the Department of Human Services asset verification process, Iowans have 10 days to respond. If the DHS doesn't hear from them, benefits are terminated. If there's any uh, discrepancy between the information that the person gives the state and the state's review of that information, um, a timer starts. And so you've got 10 days to get that resolved. And we believe that's too short a time because sometimes people receive mail once a month that they would need to help prove that they need the assistance, and that 10-day period would be too time for that um, mail cycle to go through. I understand that there are a lot of people in this room that believe there's a high level of fraud. Leslie Carpenter from the Iowa Mental Health Advocacy says she doesn't believe there is enough fraud to place this proposal into Iowa code. I don't believe that there's enough fraud to outweigh the benefit of the people that really need these services. Furthermore, I'm really saddened and disappointed to see this division of the bill added to a human resource budget bill. It kind of breaks my heart. This bill contains some sections that Democratic Senator Amanda Reagan does support, but concerning Division 13... Instead of worrying about taking people off of um, assistance as far as regarding food, it is uh, a time uh, during this pandemic that we, are, we all were made aware of uh, there is a need out there. And um, we do want it to go to the right people. But let me tell you, if you take people off of food assistance, you will increase the need in food banks and soup kitchens um, hunger doesn't go away just because we're not going to help people with it. You will still have hungry people. Senator Costello briefly responds to the comments about Division 13. You know, we are trying to follow federal guidelines in the, the changes that we are making, maybe with the asset tests and things like that. Um, and so 
uh, I think these are important things. It's obviously this bill we've run through uh, off the floor already before that portion of the bill that we're including there. Uh, and so I'll just leave my comments there. The Health and Human Services Appropriation Bill is advanced out of this committee. The governor has indicated support for this bill to include what is in Division 13. The House's version of Health and Human Services Appropriation does not contain this asset verification requirement. Like with all previous department appropriations that differ from each chamber, there will be negotiations. This is the Legislative Podcast under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pimble. If you value knowing what's going on in your state, share this podcast with your friends. Make sure to tag Iowa Public Radio on social media and use the hashtag UTGDPod. Under the Golden Dome is supported by the Iowa Bankers Association and by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. A very large omnibus bill with 18 divisions is debated in the House of Representatives. It's about law enforcement. The floor manager is Republican Representative Jared Klein. We increase protections and support for our law enforcement officers while giving them the tools to keep our communities safe. We respond to the trends and unsafe situations we've seen arise in this past year, and we address what law enforcement told us they need to do their jobs more efficiently and more safely. With so many divisions, very few of them are discussed during this debate, but parts of these bills have already passed in one chamber or the other. In this bill, there are new penalties for damage during a protest or interfering with law enforcement. It also states three or more people protesting in a disorderly manner is a riot. Now, before we get into this debate tonight, let me be clear. If you support law enforcement, truly support law enforcement, you will be voting yes tonight. If you stand up tonight and say you support law enforcement, your words will become meaningless with a no vote on this bill. I think it's insulting and cynical to our voters to simplify a complicated issue by making it support or don't. It's just not right. Democratic Representative Jennifer Confirst. I support law enforcement. Democrats support law enforcement. And you can frame it however you'd like and you will like you have. In June, all legislators in the House and Senate passed the More Perfect Union Act. It allows the Attorney General to prosecute a criminal offense committed by a law enforcement officer. It also clarifies when deadly force is justified, prevents a law enforcement officer from being hired if they lost a previous job due to serious misconduct, and requires annual training on de-escalation techniques. Confirst refers to the More Perfect Union Act as she opposes this bill. We came together to advance that last summer, and that that approach that we proposed, that I imagine we'll see again, addresses many of the issues we've seen in a way that protects law enforcement, pushes for justice, and fights for equity. It's unfortunate, to say the least, that we weren't able to discuss these issues today. It's unfortunate, to say the least, that we had no input on this legislation, and it's unfortunate to say the least that the spirit and unity of last summer's plan for a more perfect union seems to have passed. There is a division of the bill dealing with qualified immunity. 
It was established by the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1960s. It can protect government officials from lawsuits unless they have violated clearly established laws. Democratic Representative Christina Bohannon, who is a lawyer and professor at the University of Iowa College of Law, says qualified immunity is a widely criticized doctrine. The reason it's so criticized is because under the qualified immunity doctrine, no matter how egregious the misconduct is, no matter how wrong we all would agree that it is, there would be no liability unless it violates, quote, clearly established law. So even if an officer uses clearly excessive force in violation of departmental policy, they are immune just because there hasn't yet been a court case deciding that this exact conduct violates the law. That is why the Iowa Supreme Court in 2018, in a case called Baldwin versus State, rejected this standard. It said that the qualified immunity standard puts too much weight on how clear the law is and too little weight on how clear the wrongdoing is. Which means that this qualified immunity part of the bill is almost certainly unconstitutional under the Iowa State Constitution. There's probably not a person in this room that doesn't support the police, the police department, nor doesn't support the community. Democratic Representative Akhail Abdul-Samad was seen often last summer during protests in the Des Moines area to mediate between angry protesters and law enforcement. What happened is you have young people that reacted to pain, young adults that were hurt. Everyone didn't tear up a building. A lot of those young people stopped individuals from tearing up building. But they reacted to a situation that they already lacked trust in a system, not just with police department, but in the power with us. Was that all correct? No, but they did. This bill adds penalties for public disorder, like aggravated misdemeanors and Class D felonies. It also includes penalties for obstructing roadways, committing property damage, and can be guilty of a Class D felony if present during a riot. Democratic Representative Mary Wolf opposes these increased penalties. We have a bill that combines more protections and support for law enforcement with provisions creating a lot of new or expanded crimes with a lot of arbitrarily, I think, selected penalties that won't do anything to make Iowa safer, that won't do anything, in my opinion, to protect law enforcement, but basically sends a message to Iowans and to Iowans who feel the need to protest to protect their rights that, okay, you want to come to the Capitol and yell and scream? You want to stand on a sidewalk and ask for justice? That's fine, but guess what? We just made it a lot more likely that if you do that, you're going to get arrested, you're going to get charged with a high-level misdemeanor or even a felony for doing something that right now is either not a crime or a very low-level crime, and that'll show you. During protests in Des Moines last summer, there was some property damage. Representative Jared Klein says that makes this bill necessary. Protests are fine. Protests are great as long as they're peaceful. As long as they're peaceful. 
But when they start going down destructive paths and they start assaulting and going after people and spitting on law enforcement and going after them the way I've seen, that's no longer peaceful. That is now a violent protest. With the 18 divisions of the spill, a few of them are not so controversial. One allows a retiring public safety employee to receive credit for accumulated sick leave. Another requires sheriff's salaries to be comparable to the state patrol. And another exempts window tinting restrictions on a vehicle owned by a law enforcement agency. This omnibus bill passes with Democratic support 63 to 30. This bill can be debated immediately in the Senate. A previous version of it already passed. However, that version was three pages and about officer disciplinary actions. It was on the floor for two minutes and passed unanimously. As the session comes toward the end, it's common for bills that passed in one chamber to be amended by the other, sometimes in more dramatic ways than others. The 2021 session is scheduled for 110 days before per diems run out. Day 110 is Friday, April 30th. Historically, the session rarely ends even when the per diems do, but in recent years, the session ends in a matter of days after. What that means for this weekly podcast is we're planning to release the final episode for this year after the session ends. That will happen within 24 hours of Sinadia, which is when the gavel is slammed for the last time. Of course, nobody really knows what is going to happen from week to week in the legislature, so make sure you are subscribed to this podcast in your podcast feed. That way you'll get the final episode right when it is done. So much help for this year's podcast comes from Iowa Public Radio's Statehouse reporter, Katerina Sestarik. She has a lot of stories about this session on our website, iowapublicradio.org. Additional help also comes from Radio Iowa's Kay Henderson. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director, Michael Leland. Digital team support from Kaylin Troutman and Matt Siren. I'm John Pimble. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio. Radio.